Hey, what's up? Chad? Everybody? How's it going, guys? Sorry, a little, little bit late over here. Yeah, no worries. I feel like they improved the the waiting room music. Did you Did you also? I, it, it sounded different. Than I didn't hear it at all, to be honest. So I don't... It's, it's only for you. No. It's only your music. Oh, I think that might have just been in my head. <laughs> you want you want to hear something kind of funny? I uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. I just grabbed some like quick food before jumping on here just because I needed to eat the things. I had some plans afterwards, but I got some like some Chinese food and I, I had a uh, you know a, a fortune cookie, and I think like they're just getting really lazy about the fortune cookies because the fortune cookie was uh, you know, let me actually read the actual cookie because it was quite funny. Uh, it says, an adventure filled with good food and friends awaits. <laughs> I'm just like, you're all just getting kind of fucking lazy now, aren't you? I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. sitting down with friends eating food, that, you know, that's kind of what you do. <laughs> yeah, they get terrible fortunes nowadays. My, mine just says, buy more Chinese food. <laughs> I want to know, like, at some point, they're just going to have ChatGPT do it, right? Like, they're just going to just ChatGPT, write me a hundred fortune cookie things, proverbs, what do you want to call them? <laughs> yeah, I wonder who writes this. It's definitely got to be ChatGPT going forward because you don't need to, <laughs> you don't, you don't need to pay a, a Chinese guy in, in Shanghai to, to write these things anymore. Yeah, I don't think they did that in the first place, to be honest. No, actually, fortune cookies actually don't exist in, in China. It's actually an American invention. Well, they should adopt them over there. Cause, <laughs> I mean, the con- the concept is good. The execution, really, <laughs> not so good. I've won the lottery seven times on the numbers on the back. Yeah. Or, or you ever open one and there's no fortune inside, and you're just like, well, that was just a waste of time. Now I get this stale cookie. <laughs> That just tastes like ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So how's it going, man? How's it going, Kyle? Dude, good, good. Uh, I, I shared a, a tweet that I made yesterday of uh, streaming savers, which is like, it, it was the best one that I could find on chain of someone that's that's done a streaming savers deposit yep. already. And just like, just just seeing like the the actual like savings of what it would have, what it is, and what it would have been is like super nice to actually see because you know you can just you can you can just validate like that it's that this person just saved like you know about ninety bucks, which is probably like a a good chunk of like a month probably of what the yield would right uh, like you know yeah, what I mean yeah. so it's a very positive validation of everything yeah that's uh what is that that is a let me do the math real quick that's about a 93 percent savings i think or something like this uh and in, in fees yeah and you, and you can imagine someone like depositing crazy amounts of bitcoin for basically no fees like very very small amount of fees yeah, yeah. and like you, you know like obviously that's not really been the case because it's only been live for like one day right now, but um, I think the biggest Bitcoin savers deposit over the last year has been like 20, 20 BTC mm-hmm. around yep. there, and uh, you know that, that was that was pretty large. But I think, like, I, I guess my prediction will be in the next year we will see savers deposits that are uh, way bigger than that. I'm going to say double. I'm going to say I'm going to say we're going to see a forty. BTC savers deposit this year. That's my guess. I don't know. Random. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your point, the point you made earlier was kind of down on the money. Like how, like if you deposit, how long, how long do you have to stay in the, in the pool, like as a saver before you earn back the money you lost in the fees, uh, both entry and exit. And then also you do, you do account for gas fees and that kind of stuff as well. Like how much time does it take? And so because you're reducing the, the, the swap fees by like 90 something percent or whatever the, hell the number is, you're, cutting down that time by, you know, a, a lot, a good, a good portion. And so you're really just more, you're spending more time in the pool, like earning versus in the time, in the pool, like um, uh, earning back the, the, the fees you pay to, to enter and exit. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I do see some savers, like, they already kind of do this, but they just enter in very slowly. So they should just make it so much easier. And especially for people that really want to go in with, with some size, they should make it much, much simpler to, to do so. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going it's to be a lot better for the saver. Like, I, I do I, I feel like I kind of wish that we did streaming swaps first rather than, than savers and kind of, like, built off it that way. But, like, that, was, that wasn't really a concept that we've that, that was, like, conceived yeah, yeah. So it's, like, it would have been so cool to have this, like, from the very, very start yeah. and just, like, see how it grew from that. Because I do, I do almost feel bad for the people who, like, deposited, uh, you know, and, you know, are still earning back their – um their fees if they did like a crazy big deposit or something like that but yep yeah i'm i want to know how long it takes until we get our first like million dollar deposit i want that's what i want to see it's it's gonna happen right yeah yeah i mean for sure there's there's probably i mean actually i wonder how many million dollar lps there are on like uniswap for example or like the biggest curve lp that's a good question i actually have no idea most of those things are just led by whales, right? In almost all sense. Because it's the whales that have like, you know, 80% or 90% of the actual like liquidity of crypto. So like they're, they're the ones really leading the way when it comes to like LPs and swaps and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's actually pretty like pretty well distributed for ThorChain Savers Vaults. I believe on ThorChain.net on that, page you can see like a pie chart breakdown of everybody mm -hmm. and it's like there's it's really not like skewed towards any like individual or uh or anything like that it's it's very it's pretty evenly broken up obviously like there's plenty of smaller deposits and there's definitely some bigger ones probably the biggest being like around like 25 to 30 bitcoin mm -hmm. total mm -hmm. uh but it's you know it's a couple thousand thousand people and it's only 600 bitcoin in the pool right now total uh in, in savers i mean so yeah. it's like, it's really nothing crazy. Yeah. But also at the same time, it's just like, I feel like savers is like one of the best kept secrets in crypto in some sense. Like, I don't think most people, not even, not even, I would even say not even like 10% of Bitcoiners even know that savers exist. Like, I wouldn't even say that. that oh, yeah. yeah, no way. And so like, hopefully like when the market goes full again and people are more engaged and like more, you know, aware and, you know, that kind of stuff, like. And people get kind of more plugged into to Thorchain largely because it's like of as like better price execution or uh, trade execution, this kind of stuff that they start kind of like um, kind of walking the walking the breadcrumbs and start like learning about all the different things we do, right? Whether it be swaps, whether it be like savers, whether it be synthetics, whether it be lending or saver, uh, savers, blah blah blah, whatever. Like people just kind of figure out all the things we do and they just start participating in more and more. You know, it's almost like a gateway drug that comes into the entire our entire ecosystem. And then at that point, I'm hoping we'll see a lot more uh, traders, especially uh, swap, uh, savers, especially on the higher end of like million dollar, multi-million dollar people. Yeah, it was just too hard to do it before. So now that you can actually deposit with size and withdraw with size, which, you know, even better, like uh, it should make it a lot easier for people to like validate that it's actually a thing. Yeah. And it's just like, there's the whole platform risk of ThorChain. Like the, like the more, it, like it's such a new product. Like if I was... You know, if I was thinking about like what to do with my thousand BTC or something like that, I would certainly not put it, put it right into like a brand new, like sure. a brand new thing that's not, you know, tested and validated over the years. So it's like, that was something we said when Savers came out. So yeah. it, like, it's going to take a, you know, a long time for people to actually like, you know, gain trust and for it to gain adoption. It's definitely not a, a slow, uh, I mean, it's a slow burn. It's not like a, a quick, like, you know, flash in the pan yeah, that's, type thing. That's like, there's nothing we can really do about the other one than just like let time tick, right? Yeah. But eliminating probably arguably the biggest re reason to not use savers was the fees to enter and exit, right? Other than like protocol risk. Protocol risk will, will just kind of like, you know, go down over time is how that works. But like getting rid of the fees as, as like a, an argument of why I don't want to enter savers is, is pretty, pretty, a pretty big deal like, in, in a sense. I actually do recall like, Years ago, when we were first launching uh, MCCN, we were like talking to some Bitcoin, like I think it wasn't me, it was uh, I think it was Nine Realms, talking to some like Bitcoin whale and trying to convince him to like you know enter the Bitcoin pool, and it was he was hesitant to do so because he didn't want to sell half his Bitcoin into Rune because he wasn't you know Rune you know Maxi or whatever he was a Bitcoin guy, and so you know we, he couldn't really deposit into our protocol for that reason. But now that we have this feature and 
he can enter without paying massive fees. Like now he has like very little reason not to other than just just general protocol risk, which is always there. Yeah. And if you're an early adopter, that means that until everyone else adopts, you're just getting yields up until that point. So if it takes, you know, you know, 10 years for savers to really become like the, the, the thing, uh, that's, you know, what is it, like a 2% yield or something like that? Is that 20% on your, well, it's compounds too. So I guess it'd probably be more than that, but uh, it really depends what the yield is like over that whole period of time. Yeah. But but even like, like 2% yeah. is like really big. Like like people, like when, when you were getting Bitcoin yield on like BlockFi before the whole thing collapsed, whatever, like you'd get maybe like 0.2% if you are under one BDC. Right. And if you were over, you would get like point zero 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 six or something crazy, like not even worth the the uh, the risk that you take on. So two percent like within crypto terms, it doesn't sound like a very high number, but within Bitcoin terms, it's massive. Yeah. And we don't have and there's no big integrations for savers yet, which is like something that we're obviously yeah, that's a good point. working on to land some like really big integrations for savers specifically, because like swaps is like. You know, like people understand swaps and it's like whether that makes sense for an individual product or not, like, sure. But um, Savers is like a whole whole different beast. So like that's something we're definitely actively working on getting some some big name like Savers integrations because uh, people like that yield, man. Absolutely. Like, and that's just part of the process of, of these integration partners that we have is that like you want to give them like some sort of like starting with the gateway drug of just like cross chain swaps, which is the most immediate and most obvious thing. You get them happy and excited about that. Get them, you know, happy with all the yield they're they're earning from the from the affiliate fees or whatever it is, and then you, you kind of tell them about oh, we have the savers too, where you're you can offer to your wallet, you know, users that they can get Bitcoin yield or ETH yield or whatever, and you can get a, a a chunk of that well as well. So it's another revenue stream for the wallet manufacturer, and so you just kind of get them starting to like kind of walk the line of all the different things that we offer, loans and and savers and swaps and all these things. Like it just becomes a natural thing over time, especially as we become more and more successful as a protocol, like people will just naturally look at it more and like, what else do you offer? What else can I use of yours? This is great. Same thing, like FTX had the same thing. Like FTX had such amazing success and then, and every time they launched a product, like every had such great adoption, adoption just because like it became this like trusted name, <clears throat> unfortunately. But like as people trust the brand, they start to like adopt all the things the brand does. It's like a natural thing to happen in crypto, but also in just general technology. Yeah. And um, going along with what you said, like, so let's say an interface just adopts savers and they're like, wow, this is great. And it's, well, all our users are getting all this yield. It's like, well, you know, if you did swaps too, that you, like, and then that's what actually powers the yield towards savers. So if you do savers, then it only makes sense yep. to consider doing swaps yep. because that's actually what generates the yield. So it's like, it, it, it is kind of, it, it could be like a kind of a backdoor adoption driver in that way, just, just for inter- on the integration side of things. Cause you know, you get a big wallet, a big, like big name doing, uh, a savers integration then they're like all right well we could you know you know they're getting two percent right now but if we do swaps like that that could actually you know we could use our own users swap fees to then power the yield for the other Absolutely. users and like you know it's just using all of our all of our products because yep. everything works together so yep. well it's one of the things i really like about uh you know their chain obviously you know one thing that was interesting uh, we were talking with I, I don't think i'll mention which one it was but we were talking with, with some wallet manufacturer and we were trying to convince them to like you know do cross chain swaps or whatever. And it was funny because like they had they had not a lot of interest in the cross chain swaps. They had a lot of interest in the savers part. They were more interested in savers than they were in the cross chain swapping, which was kind of a, a counterintuitive, you know, state. Yeah, yeah, we definitely seen that. But yeah, even if they just do savers to start then it's a like what i said it's just it naturally pushes them in the direction of doing swaps yeah. so it, it's just going to be uh like good things from there i think yeah. and worst case is like all right they just use our they just use savers and that's totally fine yeah the the biggest struggle i think we're going to have with savers like in the future is be, the feature itself is so like simple it's so cognitively easy it's so valuable it's so like useful it's so simple that i don't think we'll have problems in the long term, like 
getting adoption and getting people to, to put in their Bitcoin or ETH or whatever their other assets are. I think in the long term, it just, it just becomes an easy way of getting yield on your most favorite blue chip asset, which, you know, generally speaking, shouldn't be like a hard sell. The hardest part of it, I think, is going to be for us as a protocol is like, how do we scale it? to meet the demand that we're, that we're I think we're long-term we're gonna, going to have. And that's a much more difficult problem to solve. And we can talk about different methodologies of achieving that. But, but that's, that, that to me is like my greatest concern about savers is like, how do we scale it? And also how do we scale it safely? Yeah, managing risk with savers is 100% essential. Absolutely. I, I mean, there's already a good number of safety features that are that are built into it for that exact reason, and yeah. then pr- probably more more to come just to like make sure that nothing can like you know go wrong or make you know drain take value from LPs when it's unnecessary. Right. That's that's what we talked about the, the synth uh, circuit breaker a few weeks ago or a month a couple months ago, whatever it was. And at, at some point, we're going to have to come back to that topic as a, as a community and and discuss. Um, how we want to solve it. I mean, in the end, all the different solutions are effectively the same, really. They're just, it's just, it's, it's just getting people to leave when, when it's, when the network needs them to leave. And just the question becomes, uh, what is the mechanism to get them to leave? Right. Is it self-organizing? Is it first in first out or last in first out or, or what is the actual like algo that we utilize to, to, you know, push users to favors to exit when we, when we really need them to. And that just becomes a debate in the end. But this is not that, this conversation is not that conversation. Yep, for sure. So, yeah. But, um, oh yeah, what, one thing that we should mention is that streaming servers is live for all deposits, but um, you can only access it, uh, well, you, anyone can access it by just doing a deposit or withdrawal. But the, the quote endpoint needs to be fixed. That'll be fixed in the, in the next release. So that'll be a change that's, that's coming soon. So it, yep. right now it's not reflected in the, uh, um, the UIs. So you, you won't see it right now, but it's there. Yep. Yep. Everyone, thought I'd say hello. How's it going there, Grassroots Crypto? Good by yourself? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Keep them well. Exciting times. What's uh what's the news? What's 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 been happening? Well, the uh, the next thing we have to do, uh, at least in my mind, the one we're focused on most in the moment is uh, getting the um, streaming loans and streaming uh, uh, savers to the quotes and points to be uh, fix those bugs that are known. And once those bugs are fixed, the, uh, the UIs will be able to better accurately dis- display the fees and all these kind of things. And, and those features can be really kind of unlocked in a sense. I was thinking that for the scalability, um, well, for the first of the million dollars, I think that's just a matter of time because there's the, you know, as we enter the bull, million dollars is going to be much easier to achieve. You need a lot less crypto to hit a million dollar uh, deposit in the savers. So that's just a, just a matter of time. I think it will scale up, but I think you touched on it. It's the circuit breaker. It's, the, it's when you come into the bear that, uh, that that might be the problem, particularly with stable coins, that, um, that scaling when, when the, price of, the price of everything starts to go down and you've got a lot of crypto in there. So... Yeah, they're my thoughts. I think that's that's something that need to be dealt with um, at some point. Absolutely, we're not in any rush to do so because it's not any any pressing thing at all. But it definitely needs to be addressed at some point in the future. Hopefully, nearer than sooner than later. To just makes me feel better to get to get these things solved and not uh, lingering. Yo, and the economics incentives are already there with the uh, the dynamic yield yield adjustment. For savers, mm-hmm. depending on the um, how close to the cap it is, so that's pretty good. Um, you know, people are only making like 0.1 of a percent; they might leave, <laughs> you know, or nothing. So that that help. Yeah, well, that's already a thing that's that's there. Um, that's with the the synth yield scaling. So as the synth utilization goes up, 
the uh, the yield for savers already goes down. So that, that's already a that's already a thing, basically. So the the savers yield goes approaches zero as centralization approaches sixty percent. Yep, that's the one. Uh, it was a nice update. For anyone, and I, I I put it in my video that I released uh, a couple of weeks ago too. Yeah, the the circuit breaker is just there to make sure that even if that zero percent interest is not enough to convince people to self organize and get and get out, then we have some sort of assurances and enforcement of of the security and reliability of the network, and to have some something there, you know, just in case. Because you're right, is is enough if, if people just leave on their own accord, and that's all you got to do, but. But just just to be absolutely certain and absolutely sure, it's best just to have some sort of mechanism to kick in. Cool. Uh, I'll bring up, so there's a, a tweet talking about the amount of interfaces. I think we've got, is it 17, 18 interfaces? I think we added the Telegram bot. Um, yep, 18. I think, I think that shows... That's really good. Um, started off with like single chain CalStats just with one, with BetSwap. Uh, and now there's there's like 18 interfaces. Well, wallets and interfaces, we're kind of like counting Ledger and Key, key as well. Yeah. Uh, so it just shows you the options, what with BallSwap um, being offline for a bit. It's just, it's so good to see um, so many different ways to access. Yeah. And you don't even need an interface. You can access it without an interface. Yeah. It's really good to see. That's right. You know, the funny thing about that number, though, is that we have a number because we're early. Like, like if, it was, if we were further down the road, we were, we were more mature as a protocol, then we, would, we wouldn't even have a number at all because so many UIs would interface and integrate without, you know, talking to, uh, you know, Nine Realms or other people and that kind of thing. And so it's just like, it's kind of funny. We have that number only because we are handholding individual interfaces to, like, to be, you know, added one by one more or less but at some point in the future when we're gotten further down the road road it'll be an unknown number some number that nobody would ever really know the answer to yeah that's, that's why things like memoless transactions will help achieve as well absolutely um it's, it's good it's still, it's still fun to track so i think we're doing that as a part of trying to then get the volume stuff correct and then we can uh try and get because we can track volume via uh affiliate i think it is as well so it's just trying to get some of that low level metrics and data yeah absolutely so i shared a uh, tweet in the thing here that people can read if they want to but i recommend it just because it's really interesting it kind of starts off a little bit weird to be honest with you but but the, it gets better further in the thread so uh, this Mac, Mac and BDC is like kind of like a, a well-known influencer or trader guy. And this is like, and it, this is a, a very interesting strategy by DeFi spot to, to build their community or build their users, users through influencers. And so they've got this like pretty large network of like, you know, well-known traders and, and investors and whatnot that are like starting to tweet and, you know, push the DeFi spot UI as advisors. And so It'd be very, I'm very curious to see like how effective this kind of like marketing approach is. Like, does it actually yield like a huge amount of trade volume or does it just kind of like, you know, speaking into the wind and it kind of just goes away or not. But all that aside, uh, this tweet's actually a really great tweet because it goes through like all the different interfaces that allow you to, to just swap in general, all the different like, you know, protocols. And it, it does an actual trade or a swap or whatever between, you know, for one inch and Uniswap and, you know, uh, uh, what else was there? It was um, Dodo was one of them, LlamaSwap, like Matcha, Binance, I think was one of them, uh, Curve, I think was another one. Just like a bunch of different like DeFi protocols and then compare the price execution to those. I think it did like 10 or 12 in total, whatever the hell the number was. And like it, it compared that to ThorChain and ThorChain like beat them all, like very consistently just beat them all in price execution which is pretty i mean if you think about it it's a pretty remarkable thing like we just kind of came out of nowhere and we like just built a really good fucking product that just that just outperformed the rest of the industry which is pretty 
something to be proud of. Yeah, I think the difference between Thorchain and, and Uniswap will even be tighter now. If you look, if you just look at front end quotes, that is, just because Uniswap just added like a uh, was it point one five percent fee on on their front end. So now, uh, like I, I think even ETH to ETH swap, like you know, both uh, swaps on Ethereum uh, are very competitive, even. Which I think he pointed out in that thread. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll have more, as we get more UIs, uh, we'll have more competition. And the more competition will just naturally drive down um, UI, like affiliate fees, just to, to stay competitive, I'm assuming. And so we'll, I think over time, you might see even UI fees to go down over time. Yep. And also the, the point you were saying earlier about we won't even know how many interfaces uh, integrate. And that's partially true if they don't charge a fee, but if they do charge a fee, then we would know exactly how many uh, unique affiliate addresses are actually collecting. That's true. That's true. It's so hard to, because hard to... we ha because we have affiliates built into the protocol, it's not it doesn't need to be like a separate wrapper contract or all you have to do all this chain analysis stuff. It's like it's it's right there. It's very easy to see who who's actually generating volume for the protocol. Yep. It's actually really fascinating to look at the numbers too, right? Like just to watch the different UIs and like see how they're each performing and where all the volume is coming from and who's gaining more volume, who's losing volume. Like I think that's a kind of a fascinating uh, dashboard to look at. It's like watching a free market in action. Exactly. You can build time. the best. Absolutely. He can build the best interface and get the most users. Absolutely. If you think about it, like, if you look at like Apple versus Google and like, you know, mobile phones, whatever, you get kind of a snapshot, like every quarter of like who's performing better or who's gaming on who or whatever. But what's fascinating about crypto is that like everything's in lifetime, everything's in the public. And so just, you just have this like constant stream of like just free market information, which just makes for a more efficient market in general for it to adjust itself and to address and to to, for different players to, to make alterations or changes because they have information that's coming to them all the time versus just like waiting, oh, the end of the quarter, this happened, and then blah, blah, blah. It just becomes a much more efficient market if you have like just a, the free flow of information. It's a question. Is there a DEX that has more, has as many interfaces as ThorChain? Do you know of? Uh, that's a good question. Kyle, do you know, if you were ever at many? I'm, I'm trying to think. I know. No, I've, I mean, there's, I don't think there's really data on that. Like I, there was one, there's a dashboard for Matcha that shows, or Zero X that shows, um, all the, like some of the different ones, but I, I mean, I wouldn't doubt if we're up there for sure. Cause it could probably specifically because we've really done the approach of, you know, just make the core protocol and any team can just make a front end for it. The only thing I can think of off the top of my head, and it's, it's actually not a DEX, it's a lending protocol called uh, Liquidity, 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 whatever it's called. And that one conceptually has the same uh, viewpoint of ThorChain in the sense that it, it doesn't build, they don't build their own UI, they allow you know other people to run their, use their uh, UI. And so like, I think they have a bunch too. I don't know the exact number of top of my head. I think it's like, uh, like 10 or 12 or maybe more. Who knows? But they have probably a similar amount to them. All right, cool. So they like most of them, like you know, like Uni and Sushi, they build their own interface and that links into the back end. Like it's just like one deal, pancake. Yeah, so I just, I, it's yeah. hard to know something like Uniswap. It must be a really high number risk because I'm, I'm assuming that Uniswap has, is integrated with a bunch of different wallets, you know, or or a bunch of wallets are integrated with one inch and one inch being a DEX aggregator is connected into Uniswap and other ones as well. So it depends on how you define front end and it kind of gets a little bit gray, right? But I would imagine the Uniswap, would, I'm guessing would be the largest and it's hard to know how many they actually have. I, you know, I'm not even thinking about aggregation because we will aggregate into, you know, those other protocols. And then I think aggregation would be impossible, near impossible to track, right? I don't even know how to do that. Yeah, well, it's definitely more difficult, but it's easy. It's easier on ours because we have the affiliate fee than it is 
you know, for, for Uniswap. Because for Uniswap, I think it just looks like a, a transaction from, I guess you could do it from, like a transaction from, you know, from one inch, you could do, figure it out from that, I suppose. Hmm. Sweet. Yeah, it's probably impossible to know exactly how many interfaces use uh, Uniswap because probably so many of them probably just use the, you know, the straight up contract. So there's really no way to do analysis on it. Maybe, maybe there is. Honestly, I don't know. Anyone has data on that? I'm kind of curious. I'd be curious to know like what is what percentage of the trade volume on Uniswap is their official UI versus you know all the other sources of volume. That's what I'd be curious to know. Well, I think you'll find out pretty soon, based based on them implementing a V now, and then how much of that moves off of it. Now that they have, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that, I'm sure that number's gonna that number's gonna dive after they actually like enable this whole thing. We'll see. To be honest, I don't understand why they're even doing that. Like, I don't. I, I know they they need money to, to to pay devs and. They have like you know offices in New York City, and they got lawyers, and they got devs, and they've got like a pretty large team. And it makes sense that they do a large team, but like considering how much like uni token they have as an organization, it's I think it's, it's I think it's like in the hundreds of millions of dollars worth of worth of like uni tokens. So it's just like, do they really need that fifteen percent, fifteen bips? I mean, I don't. I, it must be something I'm missing, but it, I just don't understand it. Well, they're missing a token with any utility. Well, yeah, but they still have like, <laughs> even with all that, the uni token is is still worth you know a, a good amount of money. Right, it's, right. it's two point two billion at the at the moment, right? Which is about uh, what is that? About five, four or five times larger than than, than Rune. So, I mean, you're right; it has no no utility, and it's just a governance token that. Nobody wants to actually hold and vote with, but um, but still, like it's still worth two point two billion. I, I don't understand why they need to to put the fifteen percent thing on the top. My, my utility was uh, claiming the airdrop. That's <laughs> that's the only time I held uni. It's so good. <laughs> Claim the airdrop and then just dump it on the market. Yep. <laughs> this is why I personally just really dislike. Uh, airdrops in general, and, and we're, for Archaea, we're doing an airdrop, which is was not my idea, and, and I tried to fight it, and I lost that battle. But I, I just personally think that like airdrops are always just a great way to just create massive sell pressure and pump and dumps. So the natural thing that happens is that people are going to do an airdrop. People, you know, have a hysteria around the, on the around the asset in the first twenty four hours. Everybody wants wants to go buy it. There's a, there's a huge pump of the asset. Everybody starts dumping it buying and dumping it just it just like creates this fucking travesty of, of an ICO launch in a sense and it's just it's always just fucking terrible I always hate it and, just, and we do it we just keep on doing it as a community like we don't learn our lessons that it just never it rarely not never but it very rarely actually works effectively airdrops oh well, yeah it's just a marketing thing it's like oh wait everyone got all this like you know I just got free money from this protocol and now I know of this of this thing so it's, it's literally just a marketing expense and yeah, it is kind of based off of just speculation, and you know, I mean, it's literally all all it all it is, right? But like, how many? How often do you go to your your ETH address, whatever the hell that is? And if you go in there right now, you'll probably find, you know, fifty different random tokens just sitting in your wallet that was airdropped to you for one reason or another. You're not even aware that they're there most of the time. And then in the end, what you're really doing is you're just like locking up a bunch of tokens, so you have a supply of five hundred million or whatever the number is, and like. 200 million of them are just sitting in people's wallets that will never ever actually move because nobody even knows or cares that they're, that they're there. It's just, it's, it's a, I know I get that it's a marketing tactic, but I just don't feel like it's a, it's an effective one. And the more effective one is just building a good protocol that, that people use, but <laughs> getting the name out there is, is, you know, it's important. I can see, I, I know why people do it. It's just, yeah, I, I, I sort of agree with you. Yeah, And I, I think there was some study, like, I don't know, some people did some analysis on, like, is that actually effective or is it not? And I think most people just end up selling the token and never using the product ever again. So it's like, you're, 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 it, both, both can be true where it's like, yeah, it's just completely worthless. But at the same time, like, you know, they did 
hear of uh, <laughs> of, of the thing, at least for yeah. a moment. Yeah, you're right. The, the best way to market is just to build something of value, build something useful, build something valuable, something that has a good value proposition, and just let the product, you know, be the marketing itself, which is largely what the, how ThorChain, you know, approach things for the most part. Just let's just build something that's really good, really valuable, very solves a hair on fire problem, and that's the way you, you know, build up a good product with a good uh, user base. So, uh, so other than, than streaming savers, uh, sorry, going, going back to this, we there's also streaming loans, which are live, but I, they can't be accessed yet, not until the next the next uh, version. So, I think people are probably going to have to to wait until that's successful. It is successful in the protocol; you can you can do it, but um, the the quotes are still incorrect because um, the the quotes weren't added correctly. Uh, and I think ThorSwap which is one of the two interfaces, ThorSwap and Lens. I think ThorSwap might have paused it right now just because of the, the, all the quote wackiness and, and things like that. So um, I would just hold off for, for a little bit until the next version is adopted, which should be um, pretty soon. Yeah, uh, you, you can do it now. If you, if you handcraft your message, uh, you can open up a loan with stream, stream and loan. Um, I think it's already happened a few times. Like people have actually done it. But just you're right, just the quotes in point that's got, got a bug in it we have to fix, which is literally going out today at some point. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it should be out pretty much ASAP. Then everyone can stream savers and loan. Then we have streaming everything. So, yeah, exciting. another point those two features in my mind uh, are feature complete, with the exception of savers. There's one more feature I'd like to add to savers at some point in the future where I'd like to add a fixed rate interest for savers. Um, that's something I've been toying with for quite a while and I know how to do it but at some point in the future I don't want to add that but not not today or tomorrow just probably next year cool yeah so fixed rate and uh circuit breaker for savers yeah circuit breaker is also important thing to do for sure we gotta call it something else other than the second circuit breaker I, I hate that name <laughs> for, for yeah, what you it, call it what these things are. we can call it something else I don't really, I don't want to know a better term for it to be honest with you I'm open to other suggestions, ideas. The other thing that uh, I kind of want to bring up, I thought would be really, it's really, really interesting concept, and I just floated it to the community like a half hour ago, um, but or an hour ago, whatever, whatever it was. But is this idea of like swapper clout, and so the problem that it's trying to solve is that um, uh, is primarily the biggest problem it's trying to solve is is that like our butts are you know, obviously arming our pools and we want them to be as capital efficient and as effective as we can make them, right? And we saw recently in the FTX, like hacker, like all the volume passing through, that there were times in which the pool price kind of deviated from the market price in part because the ARB bots would, you know, with limited capital tried to ARB the pools back, but they didn't have enough capital to do it in a single trade. And so, but their first trade, we got like, you know, held up in, the delayed outbound for like an hour or something like this. And so they couldn't do another trade for like an hour. So it took, it took the, the pool like, you know, hour, two hours, something like this to actually get like our, get our back. Um, and so the idea is that like we can change the way that delayed outbound works and we can give kind of like more leniency to how long transactions are delayed to swappers who have done a lot of volume in the past. Right. And so like we effectively assign a like a clout number or a, um, a reputation score or a clout score, whatever you want to call it, to individual addresses based upon the, the amount of rune they have spent in swap fees since the beginning of the chain, which was like years ago. And so if you're making like say you're making like a, a, a ten thousand dollar swap, hypothetically, and you've paid ten thousand dollars in swap fees historically, in and in, in, in room value, uh, then the delayed outbound would be effectively reduced to zero, right? And so you would have no delayed on, on your on your transaction. So for ARBs who are doing, you know, and power users who are doing like, you know, vast and vast majority of the trade volume of the network, like their outbounds would be significantly reduced in terms of how long those are delayed. And because you're delaying, you're reducing the delay of those those values, those outbounds, the other ones are also re reduced as well inherently because 
the delay itself is, is relative to the amount of output value being pushed out. And so if you're excluding in some sense, the R bus, because they're like known good actors in a sense, uh, the rest of them also get significantly reduced um, outbound delays. And so I think like the net result of this would be a really happy medium in my mind between um, the giving users like the best UX we can give them and can very fast execution on trades and swaps and balancing that with security of the network. In the past, people have actually literally brought the topic of like, let's just get rid of the outbound delay entirely and just like cap it and get rid of it, and like make it the whole thing. And I've always kind of fought against that personally. But I feel like this is actually a really good balance between those two things because you're really, you're being much more smart and much more targeted about how you're applying the delayed outbound. And you're focusing it really on not so much the ordinary traders or the power users or the art bots, what you're really focusing it on is like the unusual traders or the suspicious traders or the, you know, this guy came out of nowhere and it's like trading like a hundred million dollars or something like or something crazy, whatever. That's when you really see, see the outbound delays like really applied and that normal situations and transactions will be like significantly reduced, if not entirely eliminated. And so like, I think that's going to be, it's an interesting idea for the community to debate and argue and, you know, whether that's a good idea or not, but to me, it sounds like a pretty good idea. Yeah. So essentially, the, so the more volume that you do, the more ruin, the, the more fees you'll you'll generate, and that increases your score. And mm -hmm. then, um, would that? So, so w what would actually cause the the, uh, the the threshold at which you're delayed to go down? Is it based on like the top ranking? Like the top like scores are the ones that get the decreased or, or removed delays or is it no, based on like a score threshold? It's based upon when we calculate, say you have an outbound transaction of like $10,000, right? When we calculate how much your outbound is going to be delayed, it's relative to the total value. It's like the, the size of your trade and the size of the total value that's being scheduled to be outbound. So if there's not a lot of volume and everything's a pretty like, you know, subdue and everything like that, then like nobody's getting delayed very much at all. But if somebody like, you know, exploited the network and they're like, ex you know, they're extracting a hundred, you know, $10 million worth of assets or something like this, then that's a huge amount of value. And then like all transactions are delayed in that, in that hypothetical scenario. And so when we calculate how much outbound value is going out, we subtract the clout scores from each of these you know, outbounds and your outbound to know that you have a new value that's far smaller and far you know, less than what it is like the actual value, like the actual value minus, minus the, the cloud score value effectively. And so that just makes the whole thing a lot more efficient and a lot more uh, user friendly. Got it. And do you think it makes sense that the cloud score doesn't um depreciate over time that it's 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 just up only or do you think it, it should have some kind of like recency um or, or maybe discount older volume and only take into account newer volume or do you think it makes sense that it's like an up only thing uh to me i i, I would i would calculate the, the cloud score as an up only thing but um we could imply uh like a maximum cap to how much cloud score can be applied to any particular outbound so it wouldn't be like an infinite number. So like we wouldn't want to give more than a, you know, I don't know, million dollar, uh, you know, um, cloud score applied to a particular outbound. But maybe they've earned five million. I don't know. <clears throat> Something like that might be possible. But right. Me, yeah, that does make sense. It should just be like an up only thing just to just to track the, the, the score correctly. And then we can handle that number, whatever that number is, you know, with I, we can divide it by two. We could do. Uh, a set of maximum of a million. I mean, there's a bunch of different things you theoretically could do. And we can, we can talk about those things too. Like we can have that debate from the community. Uh, up Vegeta, do you have a question? And if anyone else has questions about this, this is a completely new concept that is, you know, is just um, like starting discussion on right now. So if people have questions about it, go for it. Vegeta. Um, hi. Um, I, I don't have a question about this. Um, I've been kind of out of the crypto scene for a while. Um, I basically sold everything in summer of 2021 and never looked back. Um, but I did hold a lot of um, rune before, um, made a good profit. Um, but I was just wondering, what is 
what are the plans for XMR? Um, I don't know if you guys already went over this, but I just wanted to know. Um, do you guys have any plans to integrate XMR to ThorChain? Uh, so XMR is a very kind of complex topic. It is something, uh, XMR is Monero, by the way, if anybody doesn't know. Um, so Monero is by far the most complex or the most difficult chain to interface with. And that's largely because everything is uh, private by default. Because you have all these ring signatures and you have like, you know, all this com complexity. And the network needs to have clarity and kind of de-encrypt uh, de or, de uh, or dox these individual transactions so that it can make a consensus on what the transactions are happening. All that to say, uh, it took a lot of work and we've actually already done most of that work. Uh, that took a long time. And we actually have a fork of ThorChain that's like sitting in a repo somewhere that did all the work to, uh, to, uh, to accomplish this particular task. The last kind of like component to, to getting this thing to work is how do we store those assets, the Dexmar token securely? And that's a little bit more complicated than it sounds. Initially, we had done it in a way that utilized the multi-sig of, of Monero. But even their own devs publicly said that the, it's not recommended that you use this thing. It's been known to have several exploits and problems, and, and it's not really it's really just not recommended to use. So in order for us to do it, we have to, we have to make some changes to threshold signatures, which is what we use to, to secure, secure assets. We have to make some changes to that. And that would be no small amount of work either. And we, to be honest, we just don't have the, t the technical staff at this time, which I'm actively interviewing for and, and talking to people, but we just don't have the actual staff right now to be able to, to build that out. We, we have to do a lot of things like we don't even support EDSA chains quite yet. And that's another thing that has to be done before we can start to do the Monero rig signature stuff. So it's just like, there's a bunch of steps we have to take none of them are very simple or straightforward and we don't even have the correct staff to accomplish that particular task. So we have to like, there's a lot, a lot of work that needs to be done and we need to hire the right people to get there. But my own personal two cents, and I know that like Lena agrees with me and other, other people, but it's like, we're all very excited to get Monero added at some point in time. Cause I think that's a really valuable chain to, to be added for a whole host of reasons. And so I'm excited to see that happen, but it's just, we're nowhere close to getting there and it's going to take a, quite a long time to, to get there. Also, if you've been out of the loop for a while, you should you should check out Sarai Dex too, which is uh, another dev is not not related to Thorchain, but someone who's like been in this space and it, it's uh, it's not a fork of Thorchain, but it it uses very similar concepts and is it, it's, it's very heavily inspired by Thorchain. This is S E R A I, um, and it is it definitely it's not Monero focused, but like that is basically the purpose of the network is to be like a a Thor like uh, with Monero. So it, it's not live. It's, you know, still in development. Um, but yeah, you can, you can check that out if that's something you're interested in. Yeah. I actually don't know how Sarai secures the assets because they're definitely not using virtual signatures because you can't, uh, so I'd be shocked if they, if they did, and it's probably going to be them using the multi-sig that the devs say not to use. So I'd be curious to understand how they're actually doing it. Yeah, do you something else you want to say? Um, yeah, um, as I said, I left um, the whole crypto scene back in 2021 summer. And um, I don't know, I'm just really wary of the whole economic situation right now. And I keep wanting to jump back in to Rune, to other stuff. But it's just, I don't know. I don't have confidence to do it. If you guys were to like sell not sell like pitch rune again to someone who wants to come back or like someone new what would you say is the biggest attraction to rune well lots changed since you uh since you left honestly and not, not to like go too far off topic right now but um i mean there's been a ton of like positive protocol developments obviously really stepped up security first of all um and integrations for sure so like we're doing swaps for a bunch of different like a-list apps like trust wallet we're doing thousands of swaps a day uh powering the cross chain in trust wallet uh and you know actively working on like really other really big integrations that are going to move the needle um you know just as much as as that 
Um, we're right now we're actually at um, parity for liquidity fees versus block rewards. So block rewards are you know going down. Liquidity fees keep going up as people use the network. Um, there's savers, which is what we were talking about earlier. Single sided yields on Bitcoin, Ether, um, which is like you know one of the, the you know one of the coolest products out there. Um, there's lending, which is just released. Get you get a USD denominated uh, debt based on uh, your collateral of native Bitcoin or Ether, and streaming swaps, which is which makes Thorchain the best execution environment for trading Bitcoin, Ether, or any other asset that's listed, because um, we have access to um, liquidity over time rather than needing to fill liquidity needs in the instant. So it's the most liquid place to trade uh, Bitcoin in the world, including sexes for pretty much any trade size. You can check the pinned tweet right now and see, um, you know, uh, other people doing the same thing. So there's been a ton of stuff that's happened in the past, like two years. Yeah, I mean, we, we could honestly talk for like an hour just on this topic. This question alone would be, it'd be fairly easy. But to keep it short and sweet, because I actually think I go in the next few minutes, but the number one thing I would say, at least in my mindset these days, is that if that if you believe that that DeFi is a is a long term play to you know replace CFI in many respects, and for us we're specifically focusing on like sexes, uh, centralized exchanges, and if you look at sexes like they have massive volume, right? They're they like they all have you know Binance and Coinbase and Kraken, like they literally have billions and billions of dollars per day. And trade volume, where we're getting like maybe a billion or two per month, right? So we're like way behind the rest of the industry. And even in something like Uniswap, which is like the biggest DEX by volume today, it gets a billion dollars a day, but it's really only actually trading Ethereum and shit coins. It is a billion dollars a day on just mostly fucking shit coins and Ethereum, right? And that's just like, it's kind of crazy that they do that kind of volume this early. And there's still so much to be, to be had. And they're not trading the most like important asset, which is obviously Bitcoin. So it's just like there's a long-term play of just like DeFi being able to outperform to be more to be more fast, to be more efficient, to be more readily available, to be, to be cheaper, all these things than what CFI can possibly execute. And we're now proving that that DeFi and specifically Thorchain can outperform CFI in every way, both in speed, both in execution, both in price, both in fees. Like all of these things. And if you just kind of play this out over the long term, and if you have the mentality that I have, which is that like in the long term, DeFi is going to, you know, have 90% of the trade volume of crypto and that most of the trade volume of, C- of central exchanges like Binance and so forth are really going to be about fiat and stables and like that kind of thing. Then you're going to see like the industry move from, you know, uh, about two billion dollars a day in trade volume in, D- in DeFi dexes versus the ten or plus or whatever the hell the number is in, in CFI, and like you're going to see that flip where CFI is going to have ten or twenty billion dollars in trade volume, and and CFI is going to have like closer to a billion or two, especially in the long term when like crypto, if you believe like I do, that crypto is going to become much more part of like society in general and becomes less of a niche concept and more just generally adopted. And we're seeing that even with like that Fink guy, the CEO of uh, BlackRock, talking about that. That's like a big, huge signal. Like I runs like 14 or what is it? 20 billion, 20 trillion dollars worth of assets. It's fucking insane. So long-term like Thorchain's playing this game that of this, of this vision that DeFi is going to just replace or destroy CFI in many respects. And CFI will just simply not be able to compete at all. And I think we're seeing that happen. I think it's like, it's not just a vision or a hopium kind of mentality. We are literally seeing it happen this bear market with Thorchain, with the integration of like MetaBask and Trust Wallet and all these other UIs are integrating with us, with the execution of these trades, offering better products than what CFI has ever been able to do, like lending, for example. Even our savers product is far better than what any CFI related uh, provider could ever have done. BlockFi, Voyager, all those guys that just collapsed in their faces, they were never capable of executing what we as a, as a community are capable of executing. So long-term, I'm super bullish on, on Rune and, and just on DeFi in general. And so that's why you might want to uh, 
I won't say invest. I'll say that's why you might want to learn more and read about what it is we're doing. All right. Thank you both. And with that, I, I, I had to get going, guys. I, I have a, a meeting to get to, but. Sure. Thanks for coming on, Chad. And uh, thanks, Vegeta. I can hang on for, for a couple minutes if people have questions or we want to talk about um, Saver, uh, sorry, Swap Clout at all. I can stick around for, for a couple minutes at least. See you, Chad. K Coefficient. What's up, my dude? What's up, man? I was just going to ask you about the Swap Clout thing. If that could be, uh, if, you could sw- if you could supplement your Swap Clout with Rune. Or if swap clout could be tokenized, and I don't know, I'll just just pique my interest when you start talking about it. So I don't know yeah, if yeah, that kind of stuff or not. Like, well, this was this was literally cool. floated earlier today, so this is like uh, it's a very new concept uh, that we're still that is still like being thought of. I, I think it's pretty interesting though, because um, yeah, that that was the number one problem with the huge volume that we saw um you know the other week when we were when you yeah. know when we were the biggest decks in the world for for a few like for a few days uh whenever giant swaps were coming in you know three three million dollar swap coming in uh east to bitcoin uh arbs weren't able to deposit fast enough to actually keep prices in line with the external markets so there was you know it, it, it wasn't cra- crazy price dislocation but you know it was probably um you know a 10 percent delta with uh, door chain and, and centralized exchange prices so it's like figuring out a way to um to be able to bridge that gap and let arbs come in and be efficient but without um you know being some kind of permission system where you either you know obviously like that that's like untenable or um you know there's probably other ways you could do it but this seems like a, a fairly efficient way of doing it without having to change the behavior now it's just uh, you know, if you're a big ARB, you can continue to ARB as is, and we don't have to we don't have to worry about your volume counting towards the uh, outbound delays. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. That would be great for everybody, even the non-ARB traders that are doing smaller trades. Right, and yeah. and because that the big traders' volume doesn't count towards the outbound delays, it likely would make the experience of people who were just doing their first swap. Uh, even better anyway, because if, if you're just doing, you know, a thousand dollar swap or, or something like that, or you know, if you're doing a ten dollar swap, then um, the the people who are putting in, you know, thousands and thousands, you know, every couple minutes into into arbing and, and doing that, that volume is not counting. So the average volume in the swap outbound queue would probably be less, which means like, you know, you might not have to wait an hour to get your funds if you're only doing a, a small swap. If volume isn't crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just wonder how, how does that, how might that affect the synth utilization? Or would it not affect it at all? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it would affect the synth utilization. It, it, not, not directly, at least. It just means that ARBs can deposit without having to wait an hour or withdraw without having to, to wait an hour. So, like, I, I think it would just make things more efficient. And it also, well, an interesting thing is that it kind of, like, puts, like, a real, like, score on your, you, like, you can literally see who on the network has generated the most, the most fees and things like that, which will actually be uh, kind of interesting. I think, and I think there's going to be a couple of people with some some pretty big scores. There's some of the big ARB bots on the network that you see have like thousands of pages of transactions that are that are doing swaps every couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah. I have thousands of trades, not thousands of pages of trades. I mean, that's pretty impressive if you have thousands of trades. Honestly, well, I've been here a long time. <laughs> I just, I I just thought maybe that. Maybe Chad's already thought of it, like the possibly monetizing or, or tokenizing the swap clout itself, and then you could like you could trade it, you know, you could trade it. I guess. Right, right. But the, so the whole the whole point of it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, it, it could like. I mean, it's possible, but I, I doubt that something something like that would would work there's other ways of doing it like you could do like a bond or something like that like you could have um you know like swappers put up some kind of bond where they could get slashed 
or, or something, but then it creates like an extra barrier where it's like, you know, you want, you want swappers and arbors to be as capital efficient as possible. So that they, they got to put up half of their stack into just a bond, just sitting there. Um, they're going to be less efficient at arbing. So Not efficient. Right. Right. No, that makes sense. Keep it simple. And yeah. Then, so it's a, it's a brand new concept. So we'll see, um, you know, if this, if this gains any traction at all, obviously this is not like, Hey, this is coming out tomorrow type thing. I think Chad just typed up the, uh, the idea earlier today after ruminating on it for a while. So uh, it sounds, but it's, it's one of those things that's going to help, uh, help scale the, the entire system. And like the next time that we're, you know, that we're, they were doing like, you know, 300 million uh, a day, five, 500 million a day. Then, <laughs> yeah. What, what was the max there last time? 550? Yeah. Something like 530 or 550. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, insane. Yeah, yeah. Next time we do that, then we won't see uh, any any price dislocations at all because ARBs will just be able to, um, you know, a- access capital or wherever they can access it. So, right, right. Yeah. One of one of those lessons where it's like, I mean, it's definitely one of those things where it's like balancing prioritizing security and uh, capital efficiency. So, yeah. good good lessons to have, and all all stuff that's good to fix before, uh, obviously. Uh, the run up. So, yep. All right, man. Thank. You. Sweet. Cool. I guess we'll probably call it here unless people, other people, uh, want to come up, or if you uh, got anything grassroots. No, I just uh, I like the uh, I like the feature. I just kind of read it. Just quickly read it. So it's only been up for an hour, but you're you're maintaining the security, which is important for the outbound delay. Uh, but kind of relaxing for the people that you know that are. Are good actors because they've already traded a, a lot. Or, you know, you believe they're good actors because of their trade history. So, you know, if you've got a hacker that's going to come along and attack the network, they're going to have generally going to be having your address. So, outbound lay is going to be you know, utilized. Where, if you're going to have you know traders and ARBs, well, they've been with the network a long time. They've made you know some good profits. They're, they're, they're less likely to to be attacking the network on that address. So, it's a good way to keep security. But um, but but keep usability there as well. So it's it's not clogged up. Well, you're not having to change it just because of high high volume. You can most of the volume is going to come from um, you know the same actors. So that way you're you're relaxing for the for this for these same known actors. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, man, I was going to say something. Yeah, it it's. I, I think it'll be a pretty a pretty positive thing. Hopefully, we can see something like this get off the ground, and hopefully, it's not too complex to actually uh, get implemented. Right. What? what um, damn. It, it, from what I can see, it's, it's it will calculate it all in the background, like from a user point of view. They don't have to do anything, and that's like with the bond thing. You know, you don't. One of the cool things about full chain is you can do swaps. You can do a Bitcoin to Ethereum swap without the requirement of holding a room. So. By by doing this, you still don't have a requirement to hold room. Whereas if you're having to hold some type of bond, then there's that that requirement if you want to do that. So that's another reason why I like this. Right. Asset oh, neutral. Yeah. So the thing I was going to say is that uh, it's not gameable. So it's not it's not something like like if you if you somehow had like an, an exploit sitting there that you could um, you know just start like signing out funds from the network which would be, you know, extremely difficult to, to do anyway. Um, what you would have to do is then you would have to uh, effectively donate uh, whatever the, the threshold would be in order to get those funds signed out instantly rather than be in the outbound delay. So you would have to effectively donate your, your profit of whatever the, uh, the extraction value is in order to uh, bypass the outbound delay, so there's really no way to game that because that those those that that rune value is just donated to the nodes and the LPs. So it's not, that's not something that you could collect on, right? So it's not really something that you could game. It's really something you have to do uh, naturally. And if you're um, you know a, a black hat or something like that, you're not going to run an R bot for for six months to uh, to you know do some kind of attack or something like that. So. It creates a big barrier to entry for bad actors while, uh, you know, still allowing good actors to 
do what they do. But, yeah, that's right. To steal a to steal a hundred thousand, you have to donate a hundred thousand. <laughs> it's like a zero sum game. Yep. Exactly. All right, guys. Sounds good. Let's uh, let's wrap it up. See y'all next week. Peace. See ya.